You're listening to the Wanderlust and Wellness Podcast, episode number 21. You're listening to the Wanderlust and Wellness Podcast, a podcast and community for women just like you, women who have put themselves on the back burner for so many years as we live the college job plus mortgage plus career plus parenting life, but are ready to now press the reset button and start creating a life that sets our souls on fire. Pull up a seat, grab a cup of coffee, and come listen to conversations with real women just like you who are learning how to create a fulfilled life around eating well, living well, and traveling often. Welcome back. To another episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we are talking with Sue Jennett from Sue's Gluten-Free Baking at Home. Sue is an amazing resource for gluten-free living and gluten-free baking. Um, her experience with living gluten-free is so extensive. She originally was diagnosed with celiac in uh, early 1996, and then her food direction changed uh, most drastically when one of her daughters was, di- was diagnosed with a celiac disease six months later. And what she wanted to do is she wanted to provide a sense of normalcy for her daughter and for others that, that, that were in what can be a very trying situation anytime you are diagnosed with some sort of food um, intolerance. And so what happened is, uh, and we'll, we'll talk all about Sue's journey and her story. She owned a gluten-free bakery for many years. Um, she now, then that evolved into a gluten-free baking show on her local cable channel. Um, she also has a YouTube channel with uh, where she does gluten-free baking episodes. She has her blog. Um, you're, you can find a wealth of gluten-free recipes on her blog. And she, um, you can expect anything from calzones to cupcakes to bagels. We talk a lot about the bagel making. We talk about how to make baguettes. And so it's just, it's just an amazing, um, she's just an amazing resource for gluten-free baking. Uh, she also spent many years as the president of her local chapter of the Canadian Celiac Association. Um, she operated a celiac kids camp because she, she really wanted to help, um, individuals that maybe are suffering from a celiac diagnosis or, or, or need to live gluten-free to have a healthy, a normal life and not feel excluded and isolated by that diagnosis. And so without further ado, let's jump right into the episode that is chocked full of amazing tips and strategies for gluten-free baking. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we have Sue Jennett uh, joining us for an Eat Well episode, and we're going to be talking about the topic, a topic that is near and dear to my heart, which is the realities of living with food allergies and sensitivities, and more specifically, living with celiac and uh, living gluten free. So, before we jump in, first I want to welcome you to the podcast. It's great to be here, Jennifer. Thanks for awesome. having me. Awesome. I'm excited to have you. Um, you seem like such a, like a, like such a wealth of knowledge of living and gluten-free and adjusting, you know, your foods to, you know, the reality of living with gluten-free. So I'm so excited to have you on here. Um, but before we dive into, you know, all the topics surrounding gluten-free, um, why don't you give us a little bit of your backstory of your experience and how you got to where you're at today? Well, I think that everybody who ends up with the diagnosis of celiac disease has their own story. Uh-huh. Um, my story is fairly common. I went many, many years going to many, many doctors without a diagnosis. Um, it was actually in my, uh, let's see, it was after my fourth pregnancy. So I had four pregnancies and two live births. So the, the fact that I had two miscarriages is apparently a red flag. Nobody knew that at the time. Uh, and my oldest daughter was four and a half years old and a doctor decided that he should do a biopsy on me because I just wasn't getting any better and I kept coming back to him with the same problems and so he called me it was just before Christmas and he called me and he said done a biopsy but we never did a blood test can you just go have your blood taken and then I want you to know you have celiac disease Mm -hmm. and normally it's the opposite way but uh, at the time I, I read a little bit about it and I thought 
vegetables. They can't mean no gluten. I mean, they just can't because who uh -huh. can live with no gluten? And so it, it took me about a week uh, and just after New Year's and being really glutened and really sick again, I thought, okay, I think I can do this. And it was a really, really hard struggle uh -huh. uh, at the beginning. And I remember in particular, there was one night where I made this wonderful dinner for the family and we sat down to dinner and I looked around and I burst into tears and ran into the bedroom and my four and a half year old daughter uh, came in and said, mommy, why are you crying? And I said, well, I just made dinner and I can't eat any of it. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, why did you make it then? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and so I explained <laughs> to her what gluten was and why I couldn't have it. And so she said, so does that mean you can't have Oreo cookies anymore? And I said, yeah, I can't have Oreo cookies anymore. Anyway, she laid down and cried with me. Oh, <laughs> I know. And within six months, she got diagnosed. Oh. So at that point, I was on a bit of a mission because it wasn't for me anymore. It was for her. Yeah. So we learned to make Oreo cookies. Mm -hmm. And we learned to make everything because I wanted her to have the childhood around home baking and food that I had. Mm -hmm. And so when it's just for one person, it's so difficult. But when it's for more than one person, when it's for a child, you just pull out all the stops. Mm -hmm. And so, so from there, we just learned to bake everything. And actually, we were living in Bermuda at the time. Um, and so that's where the, my two daughters grew up. So the oldest one has celiac disease and the youngest one doesn't. And we moved back to Canada. And we thought for some reason when we moved back to the real world that there would be all this amazing gluten-free food and this was in 2001 oh, and there yeah. really wasn't no and so i just kept baking and then i started baking for people i knew and then i was looking for a business idea and i ended up starting a gluten-free bakery uh-huh so, you, so did you have the actual physical bakery before you had like your online blog with recipes? Oh yeah. I mean, there weren't even blogs or anything uh -huh. back then. This was in the early 2000s uh -huh. and it, it was before gluten-free was even cool because I remember that <laughs> the, the, the guy who was doing the plumbing for me said, now you told me this was some sort of special bakery, but can you explain it to me? And I said, well, it's gluten-free, so we can't have anything with this, 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 and this. He looked at me and he said, that must be really rare because I've never heard of it. And I said, do me a favor. I said, next time you're like talking with a bunch of your friends, just say, has anybody ever heard of this gluten-free thing? And I said, I bet you somebody will have. And he came back the next day and he said, you'll never guess. My friend's sister's, sister's boyfriend has this gluten thing. <laughs> and I said, yeah, once you start asking. And he said, oh, this is really cool. So we opened the bakery, a proper bakery. Um, we first started uh, baking out of a restaurant that mm -hmm. wasn't open all the time. And uh, the chef there let us come in and bake. And then we, we set up our own bakery, which is a really expensive and very involved endeavor. And at first, we were only open 10 hours a week because people who needed us would find us. Uh-huh. And we started refining our recipes and doing more and more. And we did reach a point that we moved from those premises to um, more sort of commercial premises and didn't have a storefront anymore and started supplying different schools and other institutions and stores. And then we reached a point where um, somebody was offering to buy us out. Mm -hmm. An institution was offering to buy us out. And so we were negotiating with them and it was going really well. And our lease was coming up. And then at the last minute, everything fell through. Oh, no. So we had to understand that we had to give up this wonderful baby that we had. And um, that was really, really tough. Uh-huh. Um, but then that led me to the next chapter of my life. Because here I was with all of this information, how to do things that people really hadn't done commercially before. Like, have uh -huh. you ever tried to make gluten-free bagels? <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> it is. Well, the problem when you run a bakery is you don't only make them once. You have to make them identical every right? single time. Yeah. So we came up with a really ingenious way to make bagels. So, so I'll just tell you this so that you'll get a grasp of, of some of the real challenges that we had. So when you make bagels, you make the dough and you make it into the right shape. And then um, in the, 
the wheat world, you let it rise and uh -huh. then you boil it and then you bake it and all is well. But in the gluten-free world, if you do that, they end up like pancakes because they start to rise and then you put them in the water and they rise a bit more and then you take them out and they completely deflate. They don't have the, the, um, the strength and, and the protein in them to, to hold up. And I, I was so frustrated because I loved bagels and I ate so <laughs> many pancake bagels. It was awful. And so, so we figured out that if you took the bagels and shaped them and then you put them in the freezer and you boil them from frozen and then bake them that they wouldn't deflate. Wow. So, so did you just like with, trial and error your way through this? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh -huh. And we came up with some really cool ways to do things that have nothing to do with the way they do things in the wheat world. Uh -huh. And so, so we were feeling pretty accomplished. And so, so when the bakery closed, I had all these procedures and techniques and everything in my head. And it, it started to drive me crazy because when you own a bakery, there's so much you have to know and so much you learn that it's, it's really overwhelming. So mm -hmm. I was very involved in the gluten-free world and I just felt that I had all of this knowledge and everybody said to me, write a cookbook, write a cookbook, write a cookbook. And I think that's a real trendy thing on blogs these days, uh -huh. but there's really not a lot of money in it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, so people self edit and they, they go to all this work to do cookbooks and then the cookbooks sit there. And, um, now with blogging, people go to great lengths to put recipes online, which is wonderful for the rest of the world, but they don't make a lot of money from it. And, yeah. and it's really yeah. hard for them to, to recoup from their effort. And, I have to say at the time I was never really concerned about how I was going to make any money from all the knowledge in my head. And what I did um, <laughs> was I approached our local cable company and uh -huh. asked if I could do a baking show and a gluten-free baking show. And they said that they didn't have a kitchen. And so I told them I had one and that they could use mine and they weren't really too sure what to think about <laughs> that. But anyway, we, we started making the gluten-free baking show um, on our local cable company. And what happens with gluten-free is it translates so well to video uh -huh. because if you're making bread and I don't know um, how often you've made gluten-free bread, but my gluten-free bread, the you can't touch the dough. It's, it's far too runny and it's, it's gooey and sticky and you can't touch it. Whereas if you'd never made gluten-free bread before and you looked at a recipe and you started making it, you'd think, Oh, what's wrong with this recipe? Uh -huh. And it would not turn out. So the idea behind the baking show was I wanted to show people that this is the way things turn out and this is how you have to handle them. And this is why gluten-free is different. And it's, I've had rave reviews. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, because I think on video, you would be able to show the technique and the process where if you're blogging, you know, you have text, maybe some, you know, images, but with the video, like you can, like you said, like you could actually show people like, this is how it's supposed to look. And this is what you need to do rather than trying to do it, you know, over text and still images. Yeah, and, and it's it's the sort of thing that, um, like I say, some things translate better to video than others, and so the uh, the cable company was, um, it was Kojiko Cable, it's now called Your TV here in Ontario, and they were really good about putting things online for me on YouTube, uh -huh. so that more people could see them, and, uh, and uh, yeah, just things like the way the cookies are and they put all the Christmas episodes up online, which was really cool because I did the pastry. And if mm -hmm. you've ever made gluten-free pastry, there's a real technique to it. I wouldn't say there's an art to it because anybody can do it, but there's a real technique to it. So to be able to, to show that in video in a real nice format is, a, it feels like I'm getting it out of my head uh -huh. and, yeah. and, and that's really cool. So um, a lot of people have, been turned on to baking uh, gluten-free and I think that it's it's something that you sort of have to get your head around because you won't even necessarily use the same tools that you use when mm -hmm. um, you're doing wheat baking the other thing with um, with working with the uh, the cable company 
is that I have pretty well 100% artistic control over the show. Oh, that's great. So I great. get to choose what, yeah, I get to choose what recipes I want to do. I get to choose how I want it to look. Um, I do some tips and techniques and I come up with those. And so they just sort of film it and put it all together in a really professional manner. But the problem with it is I have 100% artistic control. So <laughs> it's up to me <laughs> to make sure that I do everything. And um, if you've ever tried to make uh, six things in one day and have them all turn out, and make sure you have enough of each flower and all of those things. It's sort of stressful. And, uh -huh. and then um, the other thing was that it's up to me to promote the show because they'll do the show and they'll put it on their local cable. And then if I want anything else to happen with it, then that's up to me. So mm -hmm. I started a website and that's where all the recipes are. Uh, and then each Monday, because the show was on a Monday nights, I would upload the new recipes that were coming on that night. Uh -huh. And then we just started expanding and doing some videos, and I started doing my own videos. So I've got those on the channel as well um, that are just sort of the hokey homemade videos. I did take some video courses and some video editing courses, and I have so much fun uh -huh. making these videos and adding the, the speed up music and all that yeah. stuff to it. And it, it's lots of fun to do. But again, it depends on the content. And, and I think that the content really, really shines for itself. Uh-huh. It's almost like you were able to take your physical bakery and like bring it back to life online through your video, like through the cable show and through your YouTube channel. Oh, that sounds so nice to hear because anybody out there who has brought a business up like a child and then you lose it, it's, it's really hard emotionally. Uh -huh. And so to say that it's sort of still alive in, in the bake show, that, that makes me feel really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I've, I've, I've done a lot of other things with the baking. Um, I'm the president of our local chapter, the Canadian Celiac Association mm -hmm. here um, in Kingston, Ontario. And so my daughter, when she was a teenager, um, couldn't go to camp because there was no camps. So we set up our own kids camp and had kids and we actually had their non-celiac siblings come as well. Oh, wow. And yeah, so this was before celiac camps were cool. And, uh, and we set up um, a camp. And so we, I was able to come up with all of the menu planning and we did some really pretty cool things with, uh -huh. um, with the kids for camp. We made out a menu book. And so every day they would write down what they liked and what they didn't like. We got sponsors to donate a lot of stuff to us so that kids try things for the first time. Uh-huh. Um, cool. We actually had a food fight one day because heaven forbid gluten-free food is so expensive that you can't kids <laughs> right. can never have a food fight so we, we did some really cool things so the, the the camp ran for five years and um it was mostly the same kids who came back every year and they got to be super good friends and one of these days we're gonna have to have a reunion but yeah it just it, the whole gluten-free lifestyle obviously is is something that i learned to, to really accept. Uh -huh. um, then working in the bakery, I ran into so many people and had to deal with so many people's different issues with um, being gluten-free and, and then seeing how kids handled it. It's, yeah, I think I have a really pretty good perspective on, you know, a lot of the challenges that people uh -huh. have. Uh-huh. That, that's really cool that you had a camp like that's like strictly for celiac and gluten free. I can remember I don't have I have a severe nut allergy and I can remember I have a vivid memory of going to a Girl Scout camp. This is like back in the 80s and like going on this like all day hike and the only snack they provided was a trail mix with nuts in it. So I couldn't have anything and there was nothing else for me to eat. And I just remember being like so hungry and so, and very isolated because at that time, you know, like food allergies wasn't really something anybody really talked about. Um, you know, and I never, you know, I was young enough. I didn't advocate for myself and didn't speak up and say, Hey, I just, you know, like turned it away. But that's awesome that you created a camp where not only could they come with their, their celiac and their food allergies and sensitivities, but then also feel included and, and not feel isolated with that. Well, I have to tell you, we, we learned an awful lot the first year because we had um, camp counselors. So this is a Y camp. It started out mm -hmm. as a Y camp and, and we rented it for a week when um, the Y wasn't going to be there. Uh, but the Y counselors stayed and they said to me after that, they'd never seen any kids like this before. 
Uh, and we talked at great length with the kids um, and with the counselors. And what we realized was that most of these kids had been excluded for years from physical mm -hmm. activities because they had stomach aches. They weren't sure what was wrong. They were, they were sort of weak. They got sick often. And so they were the last ones picked for anything. They often had a doctor's note to sit out. And so we came, um, we were in the position where we, we were doing some physical challenges, mm -hmm. you know, sort of get from this circle of rope over to that circle of rope. And, you know, you've only got these two tools and everybody has to work together. And they literally just looked at each other. Uh -huh. They had no idea how to work as a team. They'd never been on a team before. And these were kids of different ages as well. But uh -huh. they'd never really been given a, a chance physically. And they'd always thought of themselves as sort of the runts of the litter. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and so to be able to start empowering those kids was, that was pretty special. Yeah, but that was, a, that was a, yeah, I was going to say, but that was an awesome experience for you and oh. them. It was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. And then to be able to feed these kids so much stuff that they've never had before, because in a lot of cases, if you're the only child in a family um, with celiac disease, I mean, we know it's somewhere else in the family, but somebody doesn't either want to come forward or, mm -hmm. you know, they haven't been tested or whatever. And so to sort of be the lone kid in a family, oh, one really cool thing we found was that these kids didn't know how much food to take. So all of the, the food that we laid out was in a buffet style. And they didn't know how much to serve themselves. They'd never had seconds uh -huh. because mom would make dinner and feed, you know, so Timmy, the, um, his stuff, and then put sauce and everything on it for the rest of the family. And so Timmy couldn't have seconds because oh, the rest yeah. of the family had, had sauce on things now. Yeah. And yep. so the, the kids were re there were just some really common life skills that their parents would have been horrified if they realized that they'd <laughs> never taught them. <laughs> But it's just sort of the the way their their life went, and nobody realized that they didn't know how to how to portion their food uh -huh. until they had to do it. Uh huh. So, so you said, there's a lot, we, lot a lot we learned. Yeah. So you said that um, you know, part of your mission was when your daughter was diagnosed and creating um, you know, like a sense of normalcy for her, or like a like a normal environment. So how, what are some strategies that you would recommend to help people with maybe food sensitivities and food allergies to create that sense of normalcy where it's not like, okay, here's, here's your food, you know, and you know what I mean? Like where you, where you kind of feel excluded. I kind of feel excluded sometimes when, you know, people might roll their eyes and be like, oh, she needs this or she needs that. But how do you create that sense of normalcy? I... I solicited and got a lot of great advice in my first year of being gluten-free. And one thing that somebody said to me was, make sure that when the family is together, everyone eats gluten-free. And I said, like, how can we do that? And they said, well, you know, if you have to cook two pastas on the stove, go ahead. But beyond that, everything else should be gluten-free. If there's somebody in your family, like my husband doesn't need to eat gluten-free. Uh -huh. he, when he's out on a business lunch, he can eat whatever he wants. But when he's in our house, there's no reason that he shouldn't eat what we eat. And the other thing is that that then encourages us to get the best quality gluten-free food. Mm -hmm. And that sort of brings me to my <laughs> mission now is – to get people to eat really good quality, clean, gluten-free food. Uh -huh. Because so much stuff that's being made now by manufacturers is just awful. Yeah. If yeah. Um, We're always taught as celiacs to read ingredients on things. And when you start reading ingredients on things now, sugar is the first ingredient. If you pick up a package of muffins, sugar is the first ingredient. Now, obviously, the flour component is, you know, two or three different things. But still, nothing mm -hmm. in my bakery had sugar as the first ingredient. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't need to. So, so much of the nutritional quality of gluten-free things these days are just, make it so difficult. So, a lot of people now when they have to go gluten-free, they just sort of figure, oh, well, there's so much gluten-free stuff. I'm just going to substitute. I'm going to eat exactly the way I did before. I'm just going to substitute gluten-free pasta, and I'm going to substitute gluten-free cookies, and I'm going to just substitute and substitute and eat the exact same way. But it doesn't work that way because gluten-free food isn't as healthy. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have the nutrients in it. And it has so many chemicals and so many fats and so many different kinds of refined sugars to make up that taste and texture. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what I try and tell people to do, and like I said, this is a bit of my mission now, is to try and eat cleanly and bake for yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to just eating, eating, um, you know, eating real foods in general, whether you're gluten-free or not, you know, like the more processed and the more boxed something is, the less, you know, the less of the nutrient value that's there. So even if you're gluten-free doesn't mean that you should go and buy every, every gluten-free snack and cookie that's on the shelf because it's the same concept. It's still a processed food in a box. So, yeah. And I... Yeah, and I think a lot of moms get drawn into this that, you know, one of their kids is, is gluten-free, so we have to treat him completely different, and I'm just going to have, he's going to have his own shelf in the cupboard, and I'm just going to buy all these gluten-free, you know, cookies and crackers and everything for him and his own pasta, and everything's going to be completely separate, and he has to live in his own little world, and then the rest of the family will just eat normal and gorge on whatever they want and leave breadcrumbs everywhere, mm-hmm. and it really shouldn't work like that the whole family, if the whole family turns around and, and starts eating cleanly, then there aren't very many things that the special celiac has to have separate. Right, right. Because, and, and this is what I tell people when they, they look dumbfounded, when they first get a diagnosis, I just tell them you can eat any meat, any fish, any fruit, any vegetable. It just mm-hmm. depends how it's prepared. Can you imagine some of the other devastating autoimmune conditions that people have if their doctor just said to them, all you have to do is you can eat all these things. These are the only things you can't eat. Mm-hmm. And there's no side effects. There's no expensive medication. There's no nothing. This, yeah. You just need to eat n- nutritionally and leave these things out. Uh-huh. How many of them would would so much rather have celiac disease than other <laughs> conditions? Yeah, yeah. I, I consider myself really lucky. Uh-huh, yeah, I would agree. I, I can eat a super nutritious diet. I can go to a restaurant and I can have a salad and a steak and a baked potato in any restaurant in North America. Right? Yes. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah. Yes. I, don't, I don't need them to order in a special, you know, gluten-free cheesecake with, you know, turtles on it and stuff like yes. that. I don't need that. Yes. I, I really just want real food. And people ask me all the time, well, I've got so-and-so coming over for dinner and, and I don't know what I'm going to make for them. And I think I'll go out and get this cake mix and try and make it gluten-free. I said, don't bother. Like, just <laughs> don't bother. Yeah. Take some apples. We, we went to a friend of ours the other night and they're both chefs and they don't do dessert that much, but they baked apples for us. And, um, and we had some really nice ice cream with it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fortunately not lactose intolerant, so I can do, I can do milk products, but for, I mean, that's a great, nutritional dessert Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. who can complain i don't need cakes and all the sugary stuff and this is amazing yeah um i actually had an episode a while back at a conversation about like like a lot of people say well you know gluten-free so expensive or you know and i'm like really it's not like the expense comes when you're buying all those unnecessary boxed items um but if like you said if i just stick with a protein a vegetable you know like like that's not expensive. <laughs> it's not crazy expensive. No, because the the things that you're taking out of your diet are m- in most cases the things that you don't need anyway. Uh-huh. I mean, when yes. when I look at the way some people eat, and they'll eat five and six slices of bread a day. Well, bread is a filler. It's mm-hmm. it's got very little nutrition in it. It's just there to fill you up. And it was really valuable when people had no money and no food and all that sort of stuff. And and now people just use it so that they feel full and satisfied. Well, I'd really rather feel satisfied with a really nice steak with some, you know, sweet onions caramelized beside it and, you know, a really nice, um, you know, baked potato slathered in butter. Like to me, that satisfaction. Uh-huh. I, I don't need, you know, to fill myself up on bread. And yeah. it was funny. I went to um, I went to speak at a at a, a celiac meeting a few months ago, and and it was going to be at a dinner. And so I said, "Well, I'll bring the bread." And they were like, "Okay." <laughs> so I brought I brought baguettes, fresh baguettes, and Ooh. my own cutting boards and and um, butter in separate containers and and the knives and everything, so that nothing else would have to touch this. And and these people just looked at it. And they said, "I haven't had fresh bread with dinner in." years Uh and so they all started eating it and then the meal came and they looked at each other and said 
crystal full. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's what the rest of the world does. Aren't you glad that we watch them eating all their bread and getting full before the real meal comes? And they're going, uh -huh. yeah, okay, I get it now. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, and I, and I would agree 100%. Um, but it is nice that if you do want like that bread or that, you know, pastry or whatever that you have created um, a whole wealth of recipes that where people, you know, can have those but yet in a gluten-free fashion, because I find, I find gluten-free cooking really not that difficult, but gluten-free baking, no, no, I find that very challenging. Um, and to the point where I'm just like, my husband will be like, you need to like, you know, like make a gluten-free version of, you know, some dessert. And I'm like, you don't understand, like gluten-free baking is really hard. <laughs> Well, what you'll find with gluten-free baking is that you can make the same thing three days in a row and it'll turn out three different ways. Right. I've had that experience. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was a real challenge in a bakery because we had to take out a lot of those variables. And so on my baking show, I only use common flours. I don't use a lot of the new funky flours and the specialty proteins that they have because there's no point if people can't buy them anymore. Yeah. I have an amazing recipe for chocolate chip cookies that uses soy flour. Well, over the last few years, soy flour has gone completely out of vogue and it's uh -huh. really hard to even buy yeah, I, soy flour. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that out there. Yeah, it's sort of a yellowy color and you can you can buy, you know, full fat or defatted and I always use the defatted and it worked really well because it had no flavor and it took on the flavor of what you made with it, but you can't buy it anymore. It's, mm -hmm. it's like I said, gone out of favor. So then I had to try and, you know, come up with a, a new flour. But again, it's, you just sort of have to throw out the old baking book and mm -hmm. start again, because even the, the pans that I use for bread, have you ever tried to make bread? I have a couple times. Yes. And you <laughs> use the little pans that you use for banana bread or something. Uh -huh. Yeah. And you end up with like this little Cinderella bread. Yes. And the kids won't take it to school because it's so tiny. It looks like Melba yeah. toast or something. Yes. <laughs> well, we use, we always use pans. Um, well, they're called steam tray pans. So that if you're looking at a buffet, um, the pans that, that hold the food, like the vegetables and stuff in a steam tray, and they're about eight inches deep. And the quarter ones, they're, they're called a quarter size. And we make a full loaf that, rises to about seven inches high uh -huh. just because we use a different pan. Uh -huh. So like I said, it's just sort of throwing out all the stuff that you thought before and starting again, because there's, there's a lot of things out there that makes gluten-free baking easier. You just have to, to sort of open your mind, think outside the box. And that's what makes, makes a gluten-free bakery stand out from others because they use techniques that are not used in the, the wheat world and they use some equipment that's not used in the wheat world either. Mm -hmm. Cause I think a lot of people think that you can just take a regular recipe and swap out the, uh, the bleached white flour, the gluten flour with a non-gluten flour. And it's just, it's going to work out and that just doesn't happen. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, you can do it, but it, <laughs> unfortunately it sort of turns you off the whole thing. Yeah. And so, and so there's a lot of flour blends, but the, there's very few of them that, that do more than two things. Like in, in the bakery, we always made everything from scratch. And so we had mm -hmm. 10 different flours to use. And so, you know, it, everything was a little bit of a different mixture. Now, you wouldn't be making things with 10 different flours all the time. And, yeah. and I mean, who wants to keep all that in their pantry and keep them stocked up? But, you know, if you can get it down to three or four and then, you know, use things and, and measure out, you know, the white rice flour and the brown rice flour and, you know, the tapioca and the potato starch and things like that. Uh -huh. um, it's different for every recipe. If you make them with the same flour every time, they're going to bake yeah. <laughs> and, and they're going to use the same, you know, the same amount of other eggs and all the other expensive ingredients you want to put in, but they're just not going to be the same. Uh -huh. No, I, I've learned that the hard way. <laughs> and, but, but it doesn't mean that you can't do it. Yeah. You just, it, it, it is so much easier to actually start from scratch. Mm -hmm. It is. I would say that. Yes. Use the individual flowers. Yeah. And you don't need that many individual flowers. But once you start doing that and you settle on three or four recipes that you like, like you get a good bread recipe and you get a good cookie recipe that you can switch up and, you know, you get a good muffin recipe. Then once you keep the flowers in for those three things, you can make so many things. Mm -hmm. It's just really cool. I'm working with um, a couple of companies now that make mixes. And, mm -hmm. and um, 
I've got a couple of videos that I did online about this, and, and I worked with a company that had a, a scone mix. And the recipe for the scone mix wasn't amazing. Like, it, it was okay, but it wasn't amazing. But the mix itself was really cool. So what I was able to do was make a coffee cake from that same mix and donut holes. Oh, wow. And they were so good uh -huh. with that mix. And so, it again, it's it's starting with something, and, and I added extra things to it and, and uh, just did different methods. And I... Once you start from the raw ingredients, there's so much stuff you can make. But if you just say, I'm taking this wheat recipe and I'm going to put, you know, such and such substitute, substitute flour in with it, the weights will be different. Everything will be thrown off, the starch value, the, the protein value, the, you know, the eggs that you put in. It's just all going to be off and it's never going to taste good and it's just going to turn you off baking, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have flashbacks to some of the recipes I've tried to make gluten-free. <laughs> your baking well, recipe well i always tell people when i'm making when i'm constructing a gluten-free recipe i'm starting from scratch so uh, i'm not starting with a, a regular recipe and figuring it out i'm starting at a gluten-free recipe yeah yeah and working up from there and it a couple things you can remember anytime you have the opportunity to add any vegetable or any fruit to a gluten-free baked thing mm -hmm. um zucchini bread uh banana bread carrot cake, anything like that, anytime you can add fruit or vegetables to it, it's going to come out better. Because of the moisture? Be because of the moisture and you've got some structure there. Mm -hmm. Like I like to use nut flowers as well. And I can understand that you can't use nut yeah. flowers, but you don't yeah. have to use nut flowers. Uh, but it's, it's that structure and like apples will hold things together a lot better. Like it, it just uh -huh. it just works better. They're they're natural things that you're putting in there, and it's not a whole lot of chemicals, and it's it just works really well. If um, when I make my carrot cake, we use pineapple and carrot, mm -hmm. and then you add the flowers and everything to it, and you add raisins, and and it turns out so amazing. Sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad you it brought really the is. nut. I'm glad you brought the nut flowers because that was one of my early frustrations when I when I first started the blog. I actually started my blog, my food blog, out of frustration because, you know, I was trying to eat healthier, and um, so many of the recipe replacements took out, um, you know, like regular flowers or regular ingredients and replaced them with like a nut base, like almond milk or almond flour, and I was just like you know, or like a healthy, you know, trail mix that had nuts or like cheeses made with cashews. And it was just like, ah, like the, where are the, the healthier recipes that don't have nuts? And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to start my own blog with my own recipes that are healthier, a healthier version and a gluten-free version, um, that also don't have nuts. <laughs> well, the, the thing that nuts adds is it adds a protein factor. Yeah. So when you take out the gluten, which is a protein, so it's that strength that helps hold things together and hold things up, then, you know, you, you have to add in some other protein. So we use a lot of eggs uh -huh. that we add in. And like I said, anytime you can add a fruit or vegetable, not that there's so much protein in, but they do seem to bind things really well. Um, we can add uh, gums as well, or mm -hmm. gum or xanthan gum. So there's different things that we can do to, to sort of bring that protein content back into things uh -huh. again it's it's starting with a recipe that is gluten-free from the ground up mm -hmm. are there any gluten-free gluten um you know like there's a lot of like you know gluten-free flowers like you know already like where you take all the different flowers and they're together in like a, a you know like a, a one for one gluten-free flour are there any that you've had experience with that you like or do you just strictly like to just you know kind of put your own together I haven't found any that work really well. Um, the only one I use, and I use it, it's usually the base when I start um, constructing a recipe. It's mm -hmm. um, Betty Hagman. Um, she was the, the first person who really made proper gluten-free cookbooks years ago. She was called the Gluten-Free Gourmet, and she had like five or six cookbooks. Um, I met her once at a conference, and she died not too many years after that. But she um, she had a, a mix. This mix has been around for like 30 years. Mm -hmm. And it's... Um, two parts white rice flour, or you could use brown rice flour, and two-thirds of a part of tapioca starch and flour. That's It's the same thing. And a third of a part of um, potato starch. So all of those things are really, really simple. So that makes up – so if you're doing it in cups, so you've got two cups of white rice flour, two-thirds of a cup of tapioca, and uh, a third of a cup of potato starch. So you've got mm -hmm. three cups. So 
whenever I'm starting a recipe, I always start with that. And oh, then okay. I'll, so then I'll say, oh, well, this is too something. It's too chewy or it's too dry or it's too something. And then I'll start switching up the flour. So I, like I said, I start from the ground up with gluten-free. But that mixture, flour mixture, makes up amazing sauces, makes mm -hmm. amazing gravies. If you're making something like an angel food cake that only needs a small amount of flour in it, mm -hmm. that works perfectly. Oh, okay. So it, it's, a, it's a good blend, and it's a good blend you can make yourself, and you don't have to um, <laughs> buy the expensive blends. <laughs> if, if you start looking on different blends, what's in them, because I don't think people do that. Like, I guess I'm just a label junkie. But um, if you start reading what's in a lot of the blends, a lot of them are really very similar. And, and if you yes. understand that that the um, the way the order that the, the things are on the label is the the volume order yes. that they are yeah I so some of them will have gum in them um, mm -hmm. but I think it's easier if you could add the gum separate because then you can control that mm -hmm. um, so if you're gonna make things like pancakes or muffins yeah you can sort of come up with a, a simple you know bisquicky type thing but once you get beyond that you're really not doing justice to the rest of your ingredients by using a, a straight flour blend every time mm-hmm okay that makes sense so let me ask you this question um what what was the most what is the most challenging recipe that you have um, adjusted to a gluten-free version I think it was the bagels yeah, <laughs> I, I think it was the bagels because it was 10 or 12 years. And and the other thing is um, that pretzels, you know, those the ballpark pretzels. Yes. Yes. Well, they're they're virtually bagels. But yeah, I see that's very similar. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. They're, they're, it, it's the same dough, but it's just handled a little bit differently. And I really just wanted a ballpark um, pretzel. And so, again, I would make the dough and it would taste amazing. But it just looked awful, and it wouldn't <laughs> hold up, and I couldn't, you know, it, it would just break apart. But it tasted really good, so I would work on that and put it away and work on it and put it away and work on it and put it away until um, it. I was talking to a chef friend of mine, and they said something, and it wasn't about the bagels. It was about something else. They said, well, you know, have you tried making things and um, par-baking them so that they could be baked off at, a bakery somewhere and I thought oh I could maybe do that so I tried doing that with a few things and I thought mm, this is cool and then it all of a sudden dawned on me that maybe if I did that with the bagels mm -hmm. and so I did it and I was so happy and so it just <laughs> gave me such joy and whenever we'd have to make bagels I was usually the one who made it, made them from start to finish because we would cook off bake off hundreds and hundreds of bagels at a time and it's a lot of work by the time you're boiling them and baking them and <laughs> boiling more and baking them and taking them out of the freezer but it's such a foolproof recipe and it it was amazing so that was my one of my biggest challenges something I haven't been able to do and it's, I, I know that there's some commercial ones out there, so I can't say it's impossible, but it's pretty close to impossible for a home baker, is um, um, croissants mm -hmm. and um, like, a, uh, what's that, what's the name of the pastry that is like all, uh, just like layers and layers and layers. Um, there's a, yeah, you, you know uh, what I mean, where, where you, yes, where you I do dock you it mean. with butter and yes, and yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. And, and I've tried to do that so many different times and it just turns to mush. Uh -huh. Like I say, I, I know it's out there, um, puff pastry. And I so I know puff pastry, but I didn't want to like, pastry, say that yeah. like not so, technical. So, yeah. <laughs> so I know in Europe you can buy some. Um, I can't imagine what machinery they make it on. I've never been able to accomplish it. I do a lot of stuff with pastry, and I do a lot of stuff with um, with shoe pastry, which is like um, um, cream puffs. Uh huh. That pastry is so easy to make gluten free. Really? You oh, gotta find, so, I gotta catch that one. It's so easy. It's it's called shoe pastry. It is so easy to make gluten free, and I should do it on the show this year. We're we're getting ready to. Uh, to, to make the next 10 episodes of the show. So the first 10 episodes were made last year. We're going to be rerunning our Christmas episodes. They're all online. So things like um, Christmas cake, pastry. In Canada, we make um, a French-Canadian meat pie called a torchere uh -huh. um, in pastry. And sugar cookies, um, gingerbread men, um, all stuffing, all that sort of stuff is, is all on um, YouTube now. And so... Um, so that's all accessible. And so my 
the cable company was was really generous last year that as soon as we filmed them and as soon as they went to air then they put them all online because they wanted people to have those for christmas yeah and, yeah and yeah my most my most viewed video is um cinnamon buns i bet <laughs> I well, because when you when you when you think of bread dough, you can't touch it, so you uh -huh. can't manipulate it. So we figured out a way to make it that. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> and we will include links to your channel and all of this in the show notes, so that the listeners can go grab these delicious-sounding gluten-free treats. <laughs> well, and and they are, and when you um, I the other thing that you have to do in a bakery is you have to make up nutritional labeling for things. So. Yeah. Um, so, so n none of it's health food. Yeah. Oh, but, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, an occasional treat's good. Well, the thing is, if you're going to have an occasional treat, you might as well have an occasional treat that's good and yeah. and is more nutritious, and it doesn't have all the chemicals in it. And the other thing with gluten free is it freezes so well. So mm -hmm. if I make a if I make a, a tray of twelve cinnamon buns, I'll just like eat two, and mm -hmm. then I'll send a few home with my daughter because she's celiac and then other people will eat them even though they're not celiac and then the rest will go all in the freezer and then you bring them out and you put them in the microwave oh the really microwave, oh gluten-free loves the microwave <laughs> that's interesting well it, like even bread because uh -huh. like I'll, I'll take a slice of bread out even before i toast it i'll put it in the microwave till it's really warm and it's literally like it just came out of the oven Oh, have wow. Have you not done that? Do you not do that? No, with I have friend? not done that. No. Oh, my goodness. Your life will change completely. I'll have to do that. Oh, yeah. Like, not just till it's warm, like, till it's like steaming warm. And uh -huh. then it's, it's literally like it's just fresh bread out of the oven. So when I make baguettes, three days later, I'll slice off a couple of slices and throw them in the microwave until they're warm. And it's the exact same as the day they came out of the oven. Oh, and baguettes are my favorite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can eat like a whole, a whole one. This is my favorite. I go on speaking engagements at different groups and I always take baguettes because people think it's impossible to make baguettes gluten-free. And I always take usually a chocolate chip cookie and then some sort of a muffin. Uh huh. And I, I always insist, I bring so much food and I always insist that people take stuff home so that they can have it the next day because it's one thing, you know, to politely eat stuff at a, at a meeting, but to then have that solve your problem for a snack at work the next day. Yeah. And yeah. you know, it's it's a homemade muffin and and it's gluten free and it's just got real ingredients in it and, and it's good. So I think that um the whole idea of people taking a gluten free diet and making it so that they're eating even better than most of their friends on a regular diet because they're thinking about the ingredients that are in their mm -hmm. foods. And like I said, you really only need to make like three things well. Yeah. And then just use variation. So if you can make a chocolate chip cookie, you can make an orange chocolate chip cookie and you can make a lemon cookie and you can make all those things once you make one good dough. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good trick. I never thought was, about it that way. I always approach, because I always approach recipes, <coughs> excuse me, you know, like starting completely from scratch or like starting like this is a whole separate recipe from the other one. So seeing it kind of as the same base, like that's a, that's, that's, that's a good idea. And, and the same thing with a muffin. So if you take a banana muffin, but you take the banana out and you add um, applesauce to it and um, uh, cranberries, you've mm. all of a sudden got, and maybe a bit of lemon, you've got a lemon cranberry muffin and you're using the same flowers, using the same number of eggs, you're using all the same stuff, but all of a sudden you've got a completely different animal. And again, you're using all real ingredients. Yeah. So let me ask you this one more question. So, um, and I want to ask this question because I hear this all the time from, um, my older, my, my children, they're, they're all older teenagers and above. And I know in my heart of hearts, um, a couple of them would benefit from eating gluten-free, maybe not full celiac, but they have so many, so many issues going on that I'm just like, you need to like try this. And my, the, the response I always get is what well, doesn't taste good? Like I, how am I supposed to live without all of that, you know, gluten stuff? So if, if, if someone, if you were here to, if you were to hear the phrase, well, it just doesn't taste as good. Like, how would you respond to that? I would just say that they're eating commercial food. Yeah. Right. And it was, it was really funny because 
my daughter was diagnosed at the age of five. And so we, we were, um, we went down to Northern New York to, to go to a wedding a couple of weeks ago. And now at Starbucks, they have those breakfast sandwiches uh-huh. and they don't have them in Canada yet. So we stopped at Starbucks and they heated one up for her and she was so excited and she starts eating it. And she said, this is really good, but you know what? Like the, the muffin has like no flavor. And she said, but it's really good. Like it's a whole sandwich. And I said, guess what? A regular English muffin has no flavor anyway. Right. So, so she thinks that stuff that has gluten in it, like must just be oh, amazing. And I'm thinking it's really not. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I, so I think that what happens is that people who say this has no flavor or whatever, um, are eating a lot of the commercial gluten-free stuff that is pumped up with extra sugar and pumped up with extra fat so that the the mouth texture is good and Uh they're not so concerned about a lot of the other stuff so so in a bakery you have to be concerned obviously about the look of something um about the taste of something but then how it feels in your mouth so Mm -hmm. even if it tastes amazing but it feels gummy then it's no good and so i think that they've so much of the commercial stuff has has had so many chemicals put into it to give it that sort of mouth feel. They're trying to replicate wheat stuff, but they have to put so many chemicals in it that it really just doesn't taste like any real food. Uh-huh. So I challenge people like that to to eat some homemade muffins. And, you know, yeah, they're not cupcakes the way a lot of commercial muffins are. Uh-huh. I, I've got a real thing about muffins. Muffins should be like, <laughs> no, muffins should be hearty and, and thick and you should know that you've eaten something instead of like a cupcake that doesn't uh-huh. have icing on it, Yeah, which a lot of muffins are these days. But so if I was to serve uh, banana muffins to, to somebody who would say gluten-free doesn't taste very good, they'll think that I've done some magic to them. But no, I've just used real ingredients and I haven't used all those chemicals. And, and um, again, so, so people have said to me, once they've started baking, that it just, it changed everything about the gluten-free diet. Uh-huh. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah you're right. And when, when I think about it, when you really, when I really get down to it, like there's only a few, like, you know, there's only a few food items that I absolutely like want to create and like make sure I have a good gluten-free version. You know, the rest of the stuff I can kind of live without. You know what I mean? Like, what you are those have- things? Um, well, like for me, like a baguette is one of them. So I'm going to, I'm going to hunt down your recipe because I'm, I love to have that whenever I eat. You um, need a baguette pan. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to find okay, that. One, one without holes in the bottom, but anyway, that says <laughs> it on the website. So yeah, baguettes start to finish an hour. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then for yeah. me, um, I, I like a lot of pasta, but I've found, you know, um, I mean, but I've also learned to, you know, like I'll put like you said, when we talk about eating healthier, like I've learned to like my favorite lasagna that I make actually has zucchini, like zucchini slices for the noodles. And you don't even notice the difference. Um, I've made a, um, a pizza bake casserole. And instead of using the pasta, we use spaghetti squash and the kids like didn't even notice it. I think one of them was like, is this pasta? And I'm like, oh yeah, it is. <laughs> and, they were, and, they ate it. and so like, I've just been able like, like those, those non-negotiables, like, okay, I need to like keep this in my life. I've just found like, an, like a replacement that, that, that works. And the rest of the stuff, you know, like I don't, you know, you, there's some stuff you can live with that. Have, have you ever had fresh gluten? Have you ever had fresh gluten-free pasta? No, I have not. Amazing. I will, I, you know, now if you give me that, then I probably will go back to the regular. No, honestly, <laughs> the closest gluten-free pasta that I've used um, like I do like brown rice, um, pasta, but it's not quite the same. So if I could find like a fresh, like gluten-free, um, like a fettuccine, like that would be amazing. It's not difficult. <laughs> it's really not difficult. If, if you've got some sort of pasta roller or something, it, it helps. It's, it's only a handful of ingredients. It's uh-huh. not that difficult, but, but if you never made pasta before, and this was something that we learned about baking, we, we took up you know, a straw poll at one of our meetings, and, and we figured if people didn't bake before they had their diagnosis of celiac disease, they don't start baking now. Right, yes. So my mission is to, well, you know what? Baking now makes a gluten-free diet something amazing. So now's the time to start. Yes, yes. And if you want to really impress people, you 
do your gluten-free pasta from scratch. It doesn't take very long and it boils in like two minutes. Uh So if you like having people over and doing that dinner party thing where, you know, people are sitting at a bar or something watching you do things, you know, throw things through the the pasta roller, then throw the fettuccine through and you've got a pot of boiling water and throw it in and just say, okay, everybody sit down and you just bring it to the table a couple of minutes later. And they're like amazed. Uh It's not hard. I am going to scour your recipe archives and <laughs> and solve all of my problems. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's it's a state of mind as well. Yeah. Um, pizza. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what you do for a pizza shell, but a lot of the pizza shells on the market are really not amazing. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've had okay. some terrible ones. I've had some not yeah. so bad ones, but I've had some really bad ones. <laughs> Well, there's, there's a bit of an art to making um, pizza dough. And, and I remember I had, um, as my guests on the show when we made pizza, I had this, this man and his son. And his son was, I guess, about 18, 17 or 18. And he just loved everything gluten. Like, he was the celiac in the family. And the dad did a lot of the cooking for him. And he really wanted a good pizza. And I said, well, come on the show, and I'll show you how to do it. And you can, you know, um, press out the dough and all that stuff. And so then we, we baked some in the oven. And then I said, okay, now let's go to the barbecue and we're going to make pizza. And mm-hmm. so if you've never had um, gluten-free pizza on the barbecue, mm-hmm. oh, it's like a wood oven pizza. Uh-huh. So you put a little bit of olive oil on both sides and you and you you put it on the grill, a really hot grill, and it gets those grill marks on it. And you take it off and you put your stuff on and put it back on the grill and it gets like a little crusty around the edges. And it is amazing. Wow. And I haven't I, tried that technique. Well, and... Anybody who doesn't eat gluten-free would not even think that it was gluten-free. Uh-huh. Yeah. That, that, those are the good ones. <laughs> well, yeah, because pizza, it's a pizza dough itself doesn't have a lot of flavor to uh-huh. it. It's, it's, yeah. like, it's like the, the English muffin thing. Yes. It doesn't need to have a lot of flavor. It's what you do with it. It's how, it's how you cook it. It's, it's the, the sauces that you put on it, the pesto or whatever that you put on it. And that should, be, that should really shine. The same with pasta. It should have a nice feel to it. It should taste fresh. It should taste... Um, like it's like it's absorbing the oil or whatever else you've got with it, but it doesn't need to take over. And I think uh-huh. a lot of gluten-free things take over the whole dish and everything sort of tastes mediocre after that. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of gluten-free pastas that I've had are very gummy. Like, you know, like it just, it just didn't have a very good texture to it at all. Yeah. And there's no need for that. Yeah. Yeah. They, right. There isn't. And if you make it from scratch, I don't, they, I don't eat pasta very often. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just don't, I, I guess I've gotten out of that. I eat a lot of salads and I eat a lot of, um, you know, meats and, and, and be really hard for me to become vegetarian, but, um, <laughs> yeah, but, and I don't eat a lot of desserts. So whenever I make a lot of desserts, like people know me because I show up everywhere with desserts because I have to make them and I have to, to make different iterations of them to come up with a good recipe, but I'm not going to eat it all. <laughs> <laughs> so if you've got a family that's going to eat it all, more power to you. <laughs> Yeah. I think that's kind of common. I mean, I, you know, there's the notorious, you know, like if you bake a lot, then you never want to eat what you bake. Like I'm guilty of doing that. <laughs> like I cook well, all this food and I'm like, ah, I don't know if I really want to eat any of that now. Oh, I know. I, I always want to eat little bits of it, but I do my best baking when I take a whole day and I make like five things uh-huh. and it's, it, it, I can understand baking like that is a little overwhelming for a lot of people. But for me, it's like, when you have a day that you can just do whatever you want, I just want to bake all day long. <laughs> but then so, not eat so, any of it? <laughs> um, a little bit, but I, that, it's the baking that, that I enjoy more. Uh-huh. And it's interesting because when um, they come and do the show at my house, like it takes over the house, like the whole day. And they, they bring in three cameras and, and different crew and, and it just takes over everything. I have my, um, the, the woman who worked for me is a, is a head baker at my bakery. She comes and helps me. And, and I have other friends who, who come and help. And we just plow through recipes, you know, all day uh-huh. long. And it's, it's just so satisfying. It's so much work, but it's so satisfying. And then when, you know, people see it and they go, oh, I made that. And it turned out so good. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, okay, it's all worth it. It's getting out of my head and it's getting onto somebody's plate. That's so that's, cool that they come to your kitchen. Like that's, that's awesome. That well, they, they don't do have a kitchen and I yeah. have a kitchen. So. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, last question I want to ask you. I asked this question in different variations for all my guests, but 
What is your best piece of advice to someone who is brand new to adjusting to a gluten-free lifestyle? I think we went over some of it already. Uh-huh. Um, I, I remember there was a gentleman who came into my bakery um, once and he was, he was really frazzled and it was an older gentleman and he said, I'm here to buy some gluten-free food. And he was, he was not happy at all. And, <laughs> and I said, well, well, what are you looking for? He said, my wife just got diagnosed with celiac and she's in the car and she's got the, all these other things wrong with her. And this is the last thing we need. And I just don't know what I'm going to do now. And I looked at him and I said, she's so lucky. And he looked at me out of the corner of his eye and he said, I don't think you heard me. (laughs) We don't need this. And so I had a discussion with him and I explained that a lot of the other things that she had wrong with her were likely because her body hadn't been getting the nutrients over many years. And that that finding out that she had celiac disease is like getting the key to unlock, Mm -hmm. you know, a, a healthy future for her. And yes, I'll sell you this bread and I'll sell you this and I'll sell you that. But by her going gluten free now, you know, she's going to be able to, um, get over or or get a handle on a lot of things that were really debilitating to her and so we talked for about 10 or 15 minutes the poor woman was still in the car but we talked for 10 or 15 minutes and <laughs> by the time he left the bakery he was so happy and he said I cannot wait to go and tell her that's and awesome so, well so I I consider myself one of the lucky ones I consider my daughter one of the lucky ones um we found out when she was five I was quite a bit older but for every person who has celiac disease, there's a whole lot of us walking around who don't know. Uh-huh. And they're the yes. people who are suffering. Yeah. They've got other autoimmune conditions that are happening to them because they don't know they have celiac disease. So the idea of getting diagnosed is an amazing thing. It's mm-hmm. the start of a whole new life. And it's so almost, then you can start taking control. Yeah. It's almost like you found like the source Uh, you know, like you said, the key, like it, you know, it could be the source of so many other issues that you don't even realize that they're all connected. Absolutely. I I remember I would get on kicks when I was younger, like in my twenties and I would decide I was going to do running or decide I was going to go to the gym. And no matter what I tried to do physically to, to get healthier, I would injure myself. I would, you know, get a stress fracture or I would get this really bad infection or something would happen. And I, I didn't realize I was as run down as I was until I sort of pushed myself a little bit. And I realized later that my body was a mess and, mm-hmm. and it was trying all of my, I was using all of my strength internally just to, to sort of live day to day and, and try and be normal. And once I found out what was causing it and how easy a fix it was just to take one thing out of my diet uh-huh. and I would be healthier than most normal people walking around who didn't have celiac disease. It was like, Oh, this yeah. is great. <laughs> right? Yes. I, I just feel so lucky. And so um, over the summer, I did a a video, and you can link to it um, as well, that is five things everyone needs to know about a gluten-free diet. Uh Because there's so much misinformation out there. And when you say to somebody that all of a sudden they have to eat gluten-free, it's it's just like this huge weight that's put on them. And Uh I would really like them to look at it as, unfortunately, it's like it's, it's you're fortunate because it's like lifting a huge weight off of you. That's a really good perspective. I'll have to include that link in the, like I said, I'll include that link to that video in the show notes. Great. Awesome. Well, tell the listeners before we, before we get off here today, tell the listeners where they can find you out there on the internet. Sue'sGlutenFreeBaking.com okay. is the, uh, the website. And um, I have a blog at Sue'sGFBaking.wordpress.com. Uh, Okay. Uh, we can. I'll give you all of these. Yeah, and, I'll include um, all, the, all the links in the show notes. The YouTube channel is Sue's Gluten Free Baking. Then I have my own YouTube channel, which is Sue Janet. Uh huh. Again, you can put that in the notes. Okay. Um, I'm a maniac on Instagram at Sue's GF Baking. Um, I don't do a lot of Twitter, but my Facebook fans are amazing, and um, we're at Sue's Gluten Free Baking at home. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I will include links to all of those. So the listeners that, you know, want to connect and want to check out your recipes, um, or maybe even just shoot you an email to be like, help me, you know, well, that I, they can connect I'd with love you. To have, 
I'd love to have feedback from people because people will write me and they'll say, I'm going to this family reunion and everybody makes pierogies and I've tried all these pierogi recipes and I can't do it. And, you know, they, they look down at me because, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I've lost my heritage because I can't do this anymore because I can't eat what they're making. And so I'll send them a pierogi recipe and it's all of a sudden like, I'm one of them again. It's, it's your lifesaver. <laughs> well, yeah, and and I mean, not all not all the recipes are online um, yet. But uh, if somebody writes me and says, you know, I just I have to make my dad, uh, you know, an apple pie, and I because because he found it now he's gluten free, and the only thing he ever wants is apple pie. Well, yeah, I'll help you make an apple pie. That's not uh -huh. a problem. But people send me uh, pictures of what they end up making, and it's it's really cool. It, and people are so proud when they make something themselves. Awesome. That is so cool. Well, I know I'm going to be checking out several of those recipes because I have like ideas spinning through my head of all the things that I've tried and yet to like find like the, the recipe. I'm going to definitely go find some of yours. That's great. Try awesome. the baguettes. You will love them. <laughs> I will. That, that might, now I'll have to get the specialty pan, but that it will be one of the first ones I try. Because <laughs> if I can find a gluten-free baguette that I love, like... I may never resurface again. With the well, you have to make them in twos. So make them and then freeze one and yeah, slice it up and freeze it and, and do the microwave trick. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, it was amazing to hear your story and all of the resources that you have. Um, but I'm so glad that you were able to join me today for this episode. Thanks, Jennifer. It, it was lots of fun and we'll have to do this again. I've got a whole other parts of my life that uh, that revolve around um, travel and eating gluten free and all that that we can talk oh, about yeah. again. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, most definitely. All right. Well, we will talk to you soon then. Thanks a lot. Uh -huh, bye bye. Bye. Okay. okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed our episode with Sue. And as always, we will include links to all of her sites, her website, her social handles. Uh, a link to uh, her blog, her YouTube channel with all of her videos because I don't know about you, but I am ready to go out and check out some of her recipes. So we will include all of that in the show notes and over on the episode page just for this episode. Just go to www.wanderlessandwellness.org forward slash podcast and scroll down and find episode 21. So we hope, uh, I hope you catch us next week for our next episode. Talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Wanderlust and Wellness Podcast. Podcast. Let's keep the conversation flowing inside our private Facebook community at www.wanderlustandwellness.org forward slash Facebook group. In this group, you can connect with like-minded women just like you, all working to press that reset button on life and start creating a fulfilled life around eating well, living well, and traveling often. And do you know someone who's looking for that same change in life? If so, let's grow our community and go ahead and share this podcast with them. If you absolutely loved this episode, please head over to your favorite podcast listening app and subscribe to the podcast to, to enjoy all of our upcoming episodes. We're available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And while you're there, go ahead and drop us a review. Please note that I am not a registered dietitian or a medical professional. The views I express are mine alone based on my own experiences and should not be taken as medical advice. Please speak with a medical professional before making any changes to your current routine.